Audio 45, Congregation of the Dead, Part 39. O Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk 3, 2. Let us begin with the scripture, Matthew 22, verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. Was not Judas one of the ones called? but not chosen. Let us listen to Jesus in his parable of the wedding banquet. Matthew 22, verse 1. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, verse 2, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son, verse 3, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Verse 4, again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. Verse 5, but they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. Verse 6, And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. Verse 7, But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Verse 8, Then saith he, that is the king, to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Verse 9, Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. Verse 10, So those servants went out in the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. Verse 11. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. Verse 12. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Verse 13, Then said the king unto the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. To most of us natural men Americans, this seems so harsh. That is, the punishment given out upon the guest who was without the wedding garment and yet left speechless, as if he was completely unaware that such harsh punishment, such disturbing punishment, such unfair punishment, such grotesque punishment was railed against him by this king. What? could possibly be so essential 
and the guests ignorant of it that it was so indispensable that the king was angrily provoked to say again then said the king to the servants bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth what did this wedding garment that we natural men americans must be wrapped in before we die physically represent lest we be cast into hell let us listen to fisherman john to find out in revelation 19:5. and a voice came out of the throne saying praise our god all ye his servants and ye that fear him both small and great verse 6 and i fisherman john heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thundering saying alleluia for the lord god omnipotent reigneth verse 7 let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come not was come not will be come but the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready verse 8 and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints the saints are the true believers both the word saint and holy come from the same greek word in the original language and he said unto me write blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the lamb and he saith unto me these are the true sayings of god so this wedding garment that the guests did not have on was made of fine linen and is called the righteousness of god let us read it again and to her that is the bride the true believers which are called the saints uh, would be the bride and to her the bride was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints that is the righteousness of the saints is the righteousness of christ which is imputed to the saints when they are made a new creation therefore judas was cold but was never married to christ because he did not possess the righteousness of christ so judas was like this guest without a wedding garment yet was one of the 12 disciples and Jesus would eventually say to him, Then said the king to his servants, Bind him and take him away and cast Judas into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
So the warning is, is that we as natural men Americans can have fellowship with the inner circle of the saints and yet be without the wedding garment. And that is why Jesus exhorts us, John 5, 39, search the scriptures for in them ye think ye have eternal life and they are they which testify of me verse 40 and yet ye will not come to me that ye might have life that is eternal life how is it that judas could have been on the inner circle of jesus disciples and yet he did not come to jesus verse 40 and ye judas will not come to me that you might have life that is eternal life how is that possible answer judas could only see the man side of the god man jesus judas had been called but he was not chosen for all the chosen are made a new creation by jesus and simultaneously given the righteousness of christ that is the wedding garment and become married to christ romans chapter 7 verse 4 wherefore my brethren ye also are become dead to the law by the body of christ in order that ye should be married to another and who is that another even to him that is jesus who is raised from the dead that we should bring forth fruit unto god now how many of our fast food free will friends in america today have never heard of this marriage supper for the marriage of the lamb jesus is come not will we come not was come and his wife hath made herself ready verse 8 and to her the wife which are the saints was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of our saints how many of our fast food free will friends will be left speechless when they are asked at the day of judgment by the king friend how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment so being arrayed in this wedding garment which is the righteousness of christ before we die physically is a very big deal is it not but why is it such a big deal hopefully by now from previous messages we know what the righteousness of christ is defined to be and why we must lay a hold of it by faith in order for us to enter the kingdom of god so let us review some of the concepts that we learned of in our last message such as the elect were chosen before the foundation of the world which means that Judas was not chosen before the foundation of the world. Again, the elect were chosen before the foundation of the world when the second person of the Trinity, that would be Jesus, made a covenant with his Father 
to not only take on hell for the ones given him by his father before the foundation of the world, but he would do what the first Adam failed to do. That is, keep his father's commandments perfectly during his 33 years here on earth. That is, Jesus would fulfill the moral law for the elect as a gift to his elect. This would be called his act of obedience and his death on the cross, his passive obedience. Both Jesus' passive obedience and active obedience is called the righteousness of God or the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is the wedding garment which Judas was not arrayed in. As the God-man, Jesus' Father, would give him the mission of finding all the elect given by his Father to him before the foundation of the world, and then revealing himself to them by making them a new creation. This new creation is such that Jesus makes we as wretches his bride that was chosen before the foundation of the world. Therefore now, being a new spiritual creation, we have a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ, which literally is a spiritual marriage with such genuine affections, with such unfeigned affections, that it drives our faith to work by a love that is unmatched by any and all human love, a transcendent love, second to none love, that is a perfect love. Former Mr. Morality expresses it this way to his brethren in Galatia. Galatians chapter 5 verse 3. For I, the Apostle Paul, testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Verse 4. Christ is become of no effect unto you whosoever of you are justified by the law ye are fallen from grace verse 5 for we through the spirit wait for the hope of righteousness that is the righteousness of God that is the wedding garment by faith verse 6 for in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which keeps on working by love. The true Christian experiences the love of Christ through the Word of God coupled with a repentant heart. There can be no love fellowship with Jesus apart from a faith that works in conjunction with a broken heart. It is the true believer that is spiritual. And thus, it is only the true believer who innately knows the true function of the law, which demands that anything less than perfection is sin, and that the law is the spiritual plow that exposes the evil proclivities of our heart and simultaneously forbids through repentance 
those evil proclivities from finding fruition in an act of sin. The true saint of God is declared holy by God because he has obtained the imputed righteousness of Christ. And yet that same saint is brokenhearted and repentant over the wretchedness of his heart. And it grieves him and makes him lament that though he is called a saint by his Father in heaven, yet he knows that every moment of every day he is falling short of that holiness and the glory of God. So again, in our last message, we found that we were spiritually married to Christ and the love we experience is unmatched by any human love. And that personal, tangible love drives us to walk by faith. That is Christ's faith that has been imputed to us. But what is this newfound faith to be placed in? But the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which includes both his passive and active obedience, which becomes our legal ticket into heaven. For Jesus not only took on hell for us, that is, is a passive obedience, but he fulfilled the moral law for us, that is, his active obedience. Now, let us again look at verse 5 above. Notice how former Mr. Morality makes it clear that our faith must be specifically in the righteousness of Christ. Galatians chapter 5, verse 5. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Once we become aware of the fact that we must lay hold of the righteousness of Christ by faith to be saved, we will find it a necessity to be saved from Genesis to Revelation. Let, let us listen to Formalist Morality in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested or revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Specifically, what righteousness? Former Miss Morality goes on. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, all of the saints who have been declared holy by our Father in heaven are continually sinning, that is, breaking his laws. And this breaks our heart, for we know we are falling short of the glory of God. In other words, who are we, the saints, worthy to be ambassadors to Christ when we ourselves are lawbreakers? But former Mr. Morality goes on and not only encourages himself, but us by making it perfectly clear that if anything good comes from his preaching, it is not him that should get the credit, but Christ and his imputed righteousness, which is available to all that believe. Verse 25, whom God hath set forth, 
to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Why? To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. 26. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that is Christ's righteousness, that he, Christ, might be just and the justifier of him which keeps on believing in Jesus. Verse 27, where is the boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith it is excluded. Verse 28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified, that is found innocent in his father's courtroom, a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So this righteousness of Christ is a big deal and is very easy to understand. Adam broke one commandment and was kicked out of the Garden of Eden and was sentenced to eternal death. So we ask ourselves, what would Adam have to have done to not get kicked out of the Garden of Eden? He simply would have to have had kept his father's commandments perfectly. So then we ask ourselves what Adam would have to do to get back into the Garden of Eden. Answer, he would have to be like what he was before he got kicked out. He was holy. He was perfect. So in order for him to get back in, he would again have to be perfect, which is impossible. For when he fell, he took on the nature of Satan and now is a liar by nature. For Satan is the father of lies. So the only way for Adam to get back into heaven is if the second Adam, Jesus, takes on hell for him, which is Jesus' passive obedience, and does what Adam did not do. He fulfills the moral law for him. When Jesus takes on hell for us and fulfills the moral law for us, this is called his righteousness or the righteousness of God, or the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, when we by faith lay hold of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we are considered holy or blameless in our Father's and Heaven's courtroom, and thus fit for Heaven. Anything short of holy cannot be admitted into Heaven. Even the commonest of us Americans know that if we put a drop of ink into a bottle of water, it will permeate through the water, discoloring it. Likewise, one sin brought into heaven would pollute the place. Only the holy can enter heaven. So common sense reveals unto us that we must be holy in order to enter into a holy heaven. And the scriptures make it clear that Jesus' righteousness imputed to us via faith is the only way our Father in Heaven can see us as holy. So then why is something so simple as this not known by John Q. Public of America? By the trickle-down effect. For by the trickle-down effect, John Q. Public does know that God is love. Isn't that what we hear? 
all throughout America. God is love. For our free will friends have put that on the front burner. But if there is no way to enter heaven apart from the righteousness of Christ via faith or apart from us having on the wedding garment, which is the most important thing in life needed to escape hell, why does not every American not know this, even if it be by hearsay? Answer, if Jesus fulfilled the commandments perfectly for us, and it is considered sin for us to think that Jesus needs us to add on to what he had already accomplished, then what happens to our fast food free will friends doctrine that we are saved by our own free will. That is, we have the free will to accept or reject Jesus. Neither do our fast food free will friends believe that the grace of God is irresistible, but they believe that the grace of God is resistible. Nor do our fast food free will friends believe that the foreknowledge of God is immutable, but they believe that the foreknowledge of God is mutable. And therefore, Judas did have a choice to accept or reject Jesus. Whereas if, whereas if the foreknowledge of God is immutable, then when Judas arrived here on earth, he did not have a choice to accept or reject Jesus. But it was already set in stone before the foundation of the world that he would betray Jesus. But Judas himself did not know whether he was one of the elect. And so from his viewpoint, he was to agonize to enter in at the straight gate, for many will seek to enter in, but will not be able to. So again, why does not every John Q. public of America not know that if he does not lay a hold of the righteousness of God, that the king is going to say unto him, and when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there was a man which had not on a wedding garment. Verse 12. And the king saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Verse 13. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So why do our fast food free will preachers not warn us Americans of the danger of not laying hold of the righteousness of God by faith? Answer, if our fast food free will friends put on the front burner that salvation comes only by faith in the righteousness of God, they are putting on the front burner that Jesus has fulfilled all the commands of his Father for us. That is 100% of them. And that includes the command to believe. 
So if Jesus has already fulfilled the command to believe for us, what do we do with the following command? Acts 16, verse 31. And they said to the Philippian jailer, Believe, I command you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. So if we cannot believe, what do we do with this command? Answer, we would do the same as a man born blind would do. If Jesus makes a blind man to see, the blind man does not cooperate with Jesus when Jesus gives him eyes to see. The blind man can only come to Jesus bowed down and crying out for mercy in hope that Jesus will give him eyes to see. For he knows he cannot make himself to see. Likewise, as the blind man was born into this world blind, all of us natural man Americans are born into this world in unbelief. And like the blind man, all we can do as natural man Americans is to cry out for mercy that Jesus would impute his spiritual faith to us that we might by faith lay hold of the righteousness of Christ by the supernatural faith of the Son of God. We cannot make ourselves to believe no more than the blind man can make himself to see. Therefore, the Holy Spirit must convince us natural man Americans and convict us of our unbelief. Let us listen to Jesus in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I, Jesus, tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Verse 8. And when he, the Holy Spirit, or the Comforter, is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, verse 9, of sin, because they believe not on me. That is, we must be convicted of the sin of unbelief. In other words, we cannot, by our own free will, believe on the Lord Jesus. We are all like Judas, unless Jesus makes us a new creation. So let us read that command to believe again. Acts 16, 31. And they said, Believe, that is, I command you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and, and thy house. Now, that is clearly a command, is it not? If we could follow that command, we would be adding on to Jesus' complete fulfillment of the law for us. For to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is a work of God, not man. John 6, 28. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God. That is the work of God, not man. This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. So believing on Jesus Christ is a work of God, not of man. 
Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, we as natural man Americans can confess the man side of the God-man Jesus, but we cannot confess the God side of the God-man. For the God side of the God-man is spiritual, and only the spiritual new creation can confess the Lord Jesus. The Lord side of Jesus must be revealed to us when Jesus makes us a new spiritual creation. Now that we are spiritual, Jesus can reveal the spiritual side of himself to us. It must come by revelation. Galatians 1, verse 11. But I, former Mr. Morality, certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. Verse 12. I, former Mr. Morality, neither received it of men, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Romans 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Why does former mismorality say we must believe or have faith that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead? Why does he not say that we need to have faith that Jesus died for our sins? Answer, because the only way the Father could have raised Jesus from the dead was if he knew no sin. That is, fulfilled all the commands of his Father perfectly, which is called the righteousness of Christ, in which we must lay a hold of by faith. Therefore, when we say we believe in the resurrection of Christ, we are saying we believe he fulfilled the moral law 100% for us. And what is there that we can add on to the 100%? There's nothing we can add on to that. Now, this truth our fast food free will friends must keep hidden and under wraps. Hush, hush. Strictly confidential. Top secret. For if this truth gets out to John Q. Public, their free will doctrine collapses. For the truth is... Salvation comes not by free will to make a decision to accept or reject Jesus, but by free grace. George Whitfield, the greatest evangelist in American history, who preached over 18,000 sermons to our founding fathers from 1740 to 1770, rebukes his friend John Wesley, founder of the Methodist churches, for going off the doctrinal tracks in preaching free will as opposed to free grace. George Whitfield writes, Dear Sir, that is John Wesley, for Christ's sake, consider how you dishonor God by denying election. That is, Jesus chooses us, we don't choose him. You plainly make salvation depend not on God's free grace, but on man's free will. And if thus, it is more than probable, Jesus Christ would not have had the satisfaction of seeing the fruit of his death in the eternal salvation of one soul. That is, for we are so depraved, we will never choose the true Jesus, but a fake Jesus. And therefore, not one soul would go to heaven. 
because it is Jesus who must find those who are given him by his Father before the foundation of the world and lose none. We do not find him. He finds us. That is his mission here on earth. All the religions in the world are of the doctrine of free will as opposed to the bondage of the will in salvation. For there is only one religion in the world that believes that man's will is bound in salvation. Martin Luther, king of the religious reformation that swept through Europe in the 1500s, culminating in the pilgrims coming to America in 1620, and then the Puritans in 1630, certainly believe that the will was bound in salvation. What does the king of the reformation, Martin Luther, have to say about the will being bound or free in salvation. Erasmus, a literary giant in Germany in the 1500s, wrote a book entitled Freedom of the Will, and Martin Luther responded with his book entitled Bondage of the Will. Martin Luther slices up and dices up Erasmus's doctrine of free will and salvation, and he rebukes Erasmus, writing that Free will or free choice is a pure fiction in salvation. Martin Luther writes, quote, That is plain evidence that free choice is a fiction. For like the woman in the gospel, Mark 5.25, the more it is treated, that is, the more free will is treated by the doctors, the worse it gets. For if we believe it to be true that God foreknows and foreordains all things, that he, God, can be neither deceived nor hindered in his prescience, that is, his foreknowledge and predestination, and that nothing can take place but according to his will which reason herself is compelled to confess, then, even according to the testimony of reason herself, there can be no free will in man, in angel or in any creature. Hence, if we believe that Satan is the prince of this world, ever ensnaring and fighting against the kingdom of Christ with all his powers, and that he, that is Satan, does not let go his captives without being forced by the divine power of the Spirit. It is manifest or revealed that there can be no such thing as free will. Again, if we believe that original sin has so destroyed us, that even in the godly who are led by the Spirit, it, that is original sin, causes the utmost molestation by striving against that which is good. It is manifest or revealed that there can be nothing left in a man devoid of the Spirit which can turn itself towards good, but which must turn towards evil. Therefore, if all man can do is turn toward the evil, he will never turn toward Jesus 
who is 100% good. Therefore, because all men are plagued with sin, that is original sin, there can be no such thing as free will. Martin Luther commends Erasmus for bringing to the forefront the debate between the bondage of the will and the freedom of the will. This debate needs to again be at the forefront in America soon in order to save America. When this debate is brought before the American people, they will embrace the bondage of the will doctrine just as Europe recognized Martin Luther's bondage of the will doctrine over Erasmus's freedom of the will doctrine. For the bondage of the will doctrine is recognizably the truth to John Q. Public when put side by side with the freedom of the will. It is only the arrogant, stuffed shirt, free will theologians who deny the obvious and then perpetrate their lie throughout America, desiring to normalize the falsehood of the free will doctrine. And yet this fast food free will doctrine, which has permeated the American culture, is not the fault of the fast food free will preachers, but it is the fault of the bondage of the will preachers who have let their foot off the accelerator. For the bondage of the will doctrine will always be victorious over the fake fast food free will doctrine. For truth will always rise to the top like cream. It is the elect or true believers in America that need to repent and then call America to repent as Abraham Lincoln called America to repent on April 30th, 1863, in the midst of the Civil War. And God turned Abraham Lincoln's two years of losses into two years of victory, culminating in bringing freedom to the slaves. Second Chronicles 7.14, God exhorts, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I, God, will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Martin Luther commends Erasmus for putting the debate between free will and the bondage of the will on the front burner. Quote, For you, Erasmus, and you alone have seen the question on which everything hinges and have aimed at the vital spot. Moreover, I, Martin Luther, praise and commend you, Erasmus, highly for this also, that unlike all the rest, you alone have attacked the real issue, the essence of the matter in dispute, and have not wearied me with irrelevancies about the papacy, purgatory, indulgences, and such like trifles, or trifles they are rather than basic issues, with which almost everyone hitherto has gone hunting for me without success. You and you alone have seen the question on which everything hinges and have aimed at the vital spot for which I sincerely thank you since I am only too glad to give as much attention to this subject as time and leisure permit 
if those who have attacked me hitherto had done the same, and if those who now boast of new spirits and new revelations would still do it, we should have less of sedition and sex and more of peace and concord. But God has in this way, through Satan, punished our ingratitude. So the will being bound in salvation is the hinge of salvation in which the door of true Christianity swings. For all other sects of Christianity, plus all other religions of the world, believe the will is free in salvation and therefore must downplay predestination, must downplay that we are born into this world as captives of Satan and his grip upon us, and must downplay that original sin is sin in order to push their free will narrative. And as a result, and wonderfully so, in whatever nation the bondage of the will becomes the dominant doctrine, all aspects of society will begin to reform. For original sin is sin will trickle down to John Q. Public, and thus it will be common knowledge to John Q. Public that the fountain from which all evil in this world flows comes right out of their own American heart. And thus, we as Americans will know from childhood up that if the evil black cat of our heart keeps on escaping, we have the potential to self-destruct. And our unique talents in which we are supposed to nurture will be hindered and may even go poof away. Thus, we as American parents who believe in E Pluribus Unum, written on the back of our coins, which means out of the many one, that is, out of many individuals, nurturing their own uniqueness comes one great nation. If the evil proclivities of their heart are kept under wraps, kept suppressed, kept dormant in order that their talents may flourish as a great asset to their family and to our American society. James Madison, our fourth president, who is said to be the father of our Constitution, says it this way. We have staked the future of our civilization and all our political institutions upon the capacity of man kind for self-government upon the capacity of each and every one of us Americans to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. James Madison. John Adams, our second president, says it this way. This Constitution is written for a religious and moral people. It is wholly inadequate for the government of any other. John Adams. A second quote. Men will either be governed by the Bible or the bayonet. John Adams. George Washington says it this way. Religion and morality are the indispensable supports to good government. George Washington. James Madison says it another way. 
if the people lack virtue of self-government, their destiny will be despotism. James Madison. Now Samuel Adams, the second cousin to John Adams, says it this way, for no people will tamely surrender their liberties, nor can they easily be subdued where knowledge is diffused and virtue preserved. On the contrary, when the people are universally ignorant and debauched in their manners, they will sink under their own weight without the aid of foreign invaders. Samuel Adams. Effects of the fast food free will doctrine has permeated America like leaven that permeates bread dough in order that it might rise. Obviously, in America today, we have a society that no longer is governing itself according to the Ten Commandments of God. For how many of us Americans know that the fountain from which all evil in this world flows is right out of our own heart? Not many of us. Why? Because our fast food free will preachers must downplay total depravity in order to keep their corrupt doctrine of free will afloat. So this free will doctrine, which is holding America captive, has led us to the cultural rot that we see in America today. Jesus warned his disciples of the doctrine of the fast food free will preachers called the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Matthew 16, verse 5. And when his disciples were come to the other side. They had forgotten to take bread. Verse 6, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Verse 7, And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. Verse 8, which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Verse 9. Do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? Verse 10. Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? Verse 11, how is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, but I was speaking to you to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Verse 12, then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. All religions are fast food free will religions because there is only one religion in which the will is found in salvation and that is true Christianity. So these Sadducees and Pharisees were also fast food free will preachers. So in Jesus' world doctrine was a pretty big deal for false doctrine being dominant in a country can destroy a country because the obvious principles of human nature are de-emphasized. That is, original sin 
has to be downplayed to keep their free will narrative alive. Thus, the concept of self-government goes bye-bye, for we have nothing to self-govern. We can see ourselves as sweet and wonderful, sweet and sour, or sour. The bondage of the will church must preach sour or total depravity, and thus the nation trailing behind will adopt sweet and sour. But the free will church has to preach sweet and sour, and the nation will adopt sweet and wonderful. That is, their child is born into this world as a clean slate or innocent, and it is the world which corrupts them, not the fountain of all evil exists in their heart. These sweet and wonderful children become victims and are ripe for the next generation of socialists or communists. Socialism and communism cannot exist without the victim mentality. Give up your liberty to the father god of government, security, which is a fake god putting the masses into poverty while the elite live in luxury off the backs of these enslaved victims. Now let us let the greatest evangelist in American history who preached from 1740 to 1770 when George Washington, John Adams, Samuel Adams and our founding fathers were just children and young adults. Let us listen to what he has to say about the blessings that will come upon a nation if the bondage of the will doctrine is dominant versus the curse uh, that will come upon a nation if the free will doctrine is dominant. Like at the time of Jesus when the fast food free will Pharisees and Sadducees were dominant in Israel. The following is an excerpt from George Whitfield's sermon, Method of Grace. George Whitfield begins with a scripture, Jeremiah 6.14, quote, They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. As God can send a nation or people no greater blessing than to give them faithful, sincere, and upright ministers, so the greatest curse that God can possibly send upon a people in this world is to give them over to blind, unregenerate, carnal, lukewarm, and unskilled guides. And yet, in all ages, we find that there have been many wolves in sheep's clothing, many that daubed with untempered mortar, that prophesied smoother things than God did allow. As it was formerly, so it is now. There are many that corrupt the word of God and deal deceitfully with it. It was so in a special manner in the prophet Jeremiah's time. And he, faithful to his Lord, faithful to that God who employed him, did not fail from time to time to open up his mouth against them and to bear a noble testimony to the honor of that God in whose name he from time to time spake. If you will read this prophecy, you will find that none spake more against such ministers than Jeremiah. And here, especially, in the chapter out of which the text is taken, he speaks very severely against them. He charges them with several crimes, 
particularly he charges them with covetousness says he in the 13th verse from the least of them even to the greatest of them everyone is given to covetousness and from the prophet even unto the priest everyone dealeth false and then in the words of the text in a more special manner he exemplifies how they had dealt falsely how they had behaved treacherously to poor souls says he they have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly saying peace peace when there is no peace the prophet in the name of God had been denouncing war against the people he had been telling them that their house should be left desolate and that the Lord would certainly visit the land with war. Therefore, says he in the 11th verse, I am full of the fury of the Lord. I am weary with holding in. I will pour it out upon the children abroad and upon the assembly of the young men together, for even the husband with the wife shall be taken, the age with him that is full of days, and their houses shall be turned unto others with their fields and wives together for I will stretch out my hand upon the inhabitants of the land saith the Lord the prophet gives a thundering message that they might be terrified and have some convictions and inclinations to repent but it seems that the false prophets the false priests went about stifling people's convictions and when they were hurt or a little terrified they were for daubing over the womb, telling them that Jeremiah was but an enthusiastic preacher, that there could be no such thing as war among them, and saying to the people, Peace, peace, be still, when the prophet told them there was no peace. So hopefully we are beginning to size up in our minds that there is always a spiritual doctrinal war going on in a nation but in America we have not even been aware that there is another option to the free will doctrine for our bondage of the will preachers let their foot off the accelerator and became complacent after the 1700s when George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards being the leaders and others kept the bondage of the will doctrine dominant in 1830 the fast food free will preacher Charles Finney helped ignite a free will revival and America has been on a downhill slide ever since with no iconic bondage of the will preacher gaining dominance in America after George Whitfield who died in 1770. Let us conclude this message by again listening to the parable of the wedding supper and the guest who came to the marriage supper without a wedding garment. And if that would happen to be one of us natural man Americans that is without the wedding garment we cannot be yoked to Jesus that without the wedding garment we cannot be married to Jesus Christ that without the wedding garment we will never know the unmatched unparalleled love of Jesus Christ unequal by any human love that without the wedding garment the burden of self-righteousness will never be loose from our back and tumble into the sepulcher that without the wedding garment when our father comes into the marriage supper to see his invited guests and sees one of us Americans without a wedding garment it will go like this verse 11 and when the king came in to see the guests he saw there a man which had not on 
a wedding garment. Verse 12. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. That without the wedding garment, we will never be found innocent, but guilty in our Father in heaven's courtroom. That without the wedding garment, our Father in heaven will sentence us to an eternity in hell. And will say to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 14, For many are cold, but few are chosen. Judas was called, but was never chosen before the foundation of the world, and thus never did lay hold of the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith. Jesus knew before the foundation of the world that Judas was not one of his own chosen elect, and that Judas would betray him. Yet Jesus allowed the fast food free will Judas to mingle amidst his elect for three years, even though he knew Judas was to be a backstabber. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Another parable put Jesus forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Verse 25. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the terrors also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good field in thy field? From whence then hath it terrors? Verse 28. He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? Verse 29. But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the terrors, you root up also the wheat with them. Verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Now let us visit the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, that is, his own elect that he chose before the foundation of the world, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Verse 2, And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, verse 4, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments and he took a towel and girded himself, verse 5. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Verse 6, Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Verse 8, Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, Thou hast no part with me. 
Verse 9, Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Verse 10, Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. Peter was clean because he was wrapped in Jesus' spiritual wedding garment, which is Jesus' fulfillment of the moral law for him, making him holy or clean. Verse 11, again, For he, Jesus, knew who should betray him, thereafter he said, Ye are not all clean. Jesus is saying, Ye are not all clean, means that not all of you, my disciples, are clothed in the wedding garment, which means not all of you are clothed in the righteousness of my son, Jesus. That is, the righteousness of God is Jesus' perfect fulfillment of the moral law imputed to us, making us perfect or holy or clean. For Jesus' obedience is seen as our own obedience by our Father in heaven, and therefore Peter was clean. But Judas was unclean because Judas did not have on the wedding garment and thus was not married to Jesus where the disciples were married to Jesus. Verse 12. So after Jesus had washed their feet and taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you. So why was it necessary for Jesus to wash their feet when they were already proclaimed clean. Answer, the disciples still had a sin nature which affected their walk with Jesus and others. Mr. Morales explains how his sin nature affected his walk, his personal walk. And here's what he says in Romans 7 verse 21. I, the Apostle Paul, find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. That is, my sin nature is present with me. Verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? We as believers are the ones crying out, O wretched man that I am, at the feet of Jesus with a repentant heart, that our Lord Jesus might ju be just and the justifier of us. That is, verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit so jesus washed his disciples feet to remind us that us the saints feet must be washed also because our walk is such that when we would do good our evil sin nature is present with us also keeping us in a state of repentance. And thus our walk is always falling short of the glory of God. And each of us as believers are in need of forgiveness, not only of Jesus, but of our fellow saints, which is what washing each other's feet symbolizes. King David says it this way in Psalm 141, verse 4. Incline not my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity. And let me not eat of their dainties. Verse 5. Let the righteous smite me. 
It shall be a kindness, and let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head, for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. Now back to the Last Supper, verse 8. Peter saith unto Jesus, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Jesus is saying, Even though, Peter, you have on the wedding garment and are holy in my Father's eyes, your walk is still corrupt. You need to come to me in continual repentance. And this is symbolized by me washing your feet. Verse 9, Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Verse 10, Jesus saith unto Peter, he that is washed, that is washed means that once I have wrapped you in my wedding garment as a gift to you, I never will need to give you another wedding garment. Jesus saith unto Peter, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all, that is, not Judas, verse 12. So after he had washed their feet, and taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Verse 13. You call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. Verse 14. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 15. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verse 16. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. Verse 17. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Verse 18. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen. Judas was called, but he was not chosen before the foundation of the world. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Verse 19. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verse 20. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Verse 21. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in his spirit, and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Verse 22. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spoke. Verse 23. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. Verse 24. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spoke. Even the disciples did not know that Judas was a fast food free will Christian. John 12, verse 3. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard very costly and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the odor of ointment verse 4 then saith one of his disciples Judas Iscariot Simon's son which should betray him verse 5 why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor verse 6 this he said not that he cared for the poor 
but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Verse 7, Then said Jesus, Let her alone, Judas. Against the day of my burying has she kept this. Matthew 6, verse 24. No man, including Judas, can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. So Jesus tells us we cannot serve God and mammon. And Judas was a thief, and therefore he could not serve Jesus and filthy lucre. Though there will always be Judases among the saints, Jesus still commands us, verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye, my disciples, love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Verse 35, By this shall all men know, that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. But though we must always be alert for potential Judases amongst us, the saints, we must be careful of pride in our own heart. For what did Jesus foretell about Peter because of his arrogance? Jesus says, Verily, verily, I, Jesus, say unto you, Peter, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. So, if fisherman Peter could deny Jesus after walking side by side with him for three years, could not we, the saints, deny Jesus? First, we, the saints, should examine ourselves by asking God to show us whether or not we have deceived ourselves into thinking we are a saint when in reality we are a Judas amongst the saints. Former Mr. Morality warns his Corinthian brethren this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you. That is, Jesus Christ literally lives in you. That Jesus Christ's spirit lives in you. How that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. Fisherman Peter reminds his saints, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit. 2 Peter 1, 10, wherefore the rather brethren, Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Verse 11. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And finally, Jesus exhorts us natural men Americans. John 5, verse 39. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think 
ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. Verse 40. And ye will not come to me that ye might have eternal life. Verse 41. I receive not honor from men. Verse 42. But I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. Let us again listen to Jesus warning his disciples to beware of the fast food free will preachers of his time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he explains to them that this fast food free will doctrine can quickly damage our country for the effects of a false doctrine spread through a country like leaven through bread. Matthew 16, verse 6, Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reason among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. Which, when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O oh, ye of little faith, why reason among yourself? Because ye have brought no bread. Do you not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood thee how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees, that is, the fast food, free will Pharisees and Sadducees. And now one last parable, the parable we began this message with. Matthew 22, verse 1. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, verse 2, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, verse 3, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they would not come, verse 4. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage, verse 5. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. Verse 6, And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. Verse 7, But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Verse 8, Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Verse 9, Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. Verse 10, So those servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. Verse 11, And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there was a man which had not on a wedding garment. Verse 12, And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Verse 13, Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 14, For many are called, but 
few are chosen. How many of us, natural man Americans, before our death, thought we were good to go because of our fig leaves of morality, which were covering over the evil proclivities of our heart, will leave us completely speechless when the king says unto us, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And we are thinking to ourselves, we were completely unaware that we needed a wedding garment, that we needed the righteousness of God to be declared holy, to be as the first Adam was before he fell. And then shockingly, we hear the king say to his servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are cold, but few are chosen. And we now realize, for the first time, regrettably so, that we had been a fast food free will Judas all along, and not a saint. And now we wish we would have questioned the fast food free will church for we knew that we were a lukewarm Christian and we knew we had not experienced the wretchedness of our own heart and many of us did not know we were without the wedding garment so let us take heed to the following scripture to encourage us Revelation chapter 3 verse 16 so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I, Jesus, will spew thee out of my mouth. Verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and knowest not that thou art miserable and knowest not that thou art poor, that is, a spiritual beggar and knowest not that thou art blind, and knowest not that thou art naked. Verse 18, I, Jesus, counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. We are to buy without money. Isaiah 55, verse 1, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, that is, keeps on thirsting, Come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now back to Revelation 3. I, Jesus, counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in fire, that thou mayest be rich, that is, spiritually rich. I, Jesus, counsel thee to buy of me white raiment that is buy of me the wedding garment or the righteousness of jesus christ in order that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see that is that we might see the spiritual side of the god man verse 19 as many as I, Jesus, love, I rebuke and chasten, 
I, Jesus, command you to be zealous, therefore, and repent. Verse 20, Behold, I, Jesus, stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I, Jesus, will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Verse 21, To him that overcometh, I, Jesus, will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I, Jesus, also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. Verse 22, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To be continued, may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. In the name of Jesus, amen.